I started a series called I Have Decided, based on the old hymn, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus, No Turning Back, No Turning Back. And today, we're going to talk about this idea of um, letting go. Because before we can grab hold of Jesus and our discipleship journey to Him, we often have things that we need to let go of uh, to be able to do that. Otherwise, we, our hands are too full of other things to sort of grab a hold of Jesus fully. And so we're going to explore these lines out of that song, out of that hymn that say, the world behind me, the cross before me. And another one of the verses is this cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. And so we're going to explore this sort of idea today. If you weren't around last week, we, we talked about how Jesus is our rabbi and that being a Christian would be better off thinking ourselves not as a Christian because that feels like something that you, you, you are if you just believe something or if you made a decision a long time ago, but we're better to think of ourselves as disciples because discipleship is a daily thing. It's, a, it's an active thing. It's a yearly thing. And it requires intention was the big idea of last week. But this, this week, letting go. But we're going to start with a story, if that's okay. Of course it's okay. You'd prefer that, I'm sure. I've got the microphone. So we're starting with a story, everyone. I don't know why I asked for permission. Let's start with a story. The story of Yates and Simpson. In 1985, two climbers were the only ones on the mountain Sol Grande in the Peruvian Andes. Simpson and Yates, good friends, achieved the first ascent of the difficult 4,500-foot west face of the 21,000-foot mountain. And they were descending when Simpson fell and broke his right leg. Simpson Yates struggled and struggled, oh, Yates struggled and struggled to save his friend. Yates chose to try and lower Joe Simpson down the mountain by rope 300 feet at a time, about 100 meter sections with his broken leg trying to make this thing work. They were battling storms, they were battling avalanches and frostbite. Yates had already lowered Simpson 3,000 feet and he was holding him over an unseen precipice when the snow seat that he was using as leverage started to collapse. Can you picture it? He's trying to save his friend. He's got a rope dangling from him, holding his friend. He's over a precipice. He cannot see his friend. The snow's swirling around and his one hold on the mountain is beginning to give way. Joe Simpson had a badly broken leg. He was dangerously dangling above his impending doom, connected to his climbing partner. And Simon Yates arrived at a point where he had to choose between his own life and the life of his friend. Eventually, he would make the decision that would leave him guilt-ridden to cut his friend loose and to send him to his doom. Simon made it back safely with a very heavy heart and wondering how to tell his friend's parents what had happened. He burned his clothes at base camp and after three days was ready to set off home. Unknown to Yates, however, 
Simpson, when he fell, had barely missed a 3,000-foot drop and only fell 100 feet into a cavern of snow and ice. One or two meters on either side, he would have absolutely died, but he landed in just the right place from where he hopped and dragged himself back towards camp. He figures he was lucky. So as he was about to leave base camp, having done everything he needed to do, lo and behold, Simpson crawls in to base camp. And Simpson's first words to Yates were, thanks, Simon, you did the right thing. Simpson later wrote a book, and he dedicated it to Yates, saying, for the debt I can never repay. The way Simpson sees it, Yates saved both their lives by cutting the rope incidentally. If both men had gone over the edge, Simpson is certain they would have both been linked in death. Simon made one mistake, Simpson said later. He should have left me as soon as I broke my leg. We both knew then I was as good as dead. There are things that all of us are afraid to let go of in our lives. There are hard decisions to make in the discipleship journey. There are pathways that often don't make sense. But in the life of discipleship, learning to let go and learning to embrace are key elements to this journey with Jesus. Let's go to Matthew 16, beginning in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Referring to himself. Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church and the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. Then Peter took him aside, good on you, Peter, and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You were seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. Then Peter said to his disciples, oh, then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. 
And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels and the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. Just break down this passage. We're going to focus on that last bit of the passage, but I wanted you to see the context of where Jesus has this discussion with the disciples because the context highlights the meaning for the core part of the passage. It starts with this. It starts with a confession about Jesus. The first time that we see the confession where they realize that Jesus isn't just an awesome rabbi, but they realize who he is. He realized that he is the son of God, the Messiah, the sent one, the longed for one, the one the whole Old Testament prophesies about this incredible confession that the Spirit reveals to Peter. Peter gives words to who Jesus really is. Then now that they understand who Jesus really is, Jesus begins to tell them about the path he must walk. And it's not the path they were expecting. It's a path of suffering and death and resurrection and triumph. So we finally realize we've got the Son of God in our midst. And then the Son of God says, but I've got to suffer and I've got to die. And Peter goes, hey, 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 I just said you're the Son of God. What's all the suffering business? Right, this is what's going on. And so Peter begins to rebuke Jesus because he says, surely if you are who you say you are, you don't have to walk that kind of life. That's really what he's saying. Surely if you're the son of God, you can just go from glory to glory, triumph to triumph. You can avoid the hard things in life. You can avoid the suffering. You can float across that. You can walk on water. Surely you can be above all of this stuff. But Jesus in this context, this is what's going on, has this dialogue about what discipleship really means. Because the disciples didn't get it. And so that is what this passage is about today. So we're going to be focusing on verses 24 through to 27. And so as we look through this, hopefully we got it up here, it says, uh, he begins by saying that he's talking to his disciples. And I think this is important because some of the other, there's a similar quote as this that are in some of the other gospels. There's a similar recording of Jesus' words, but in those other times, he's addressing it to the crowd. But in this particular time, he's addressing it to the disciples. And this is not an invitation that Jesus is giving in this moment to outsiders, but this is instruction for those who have already confessed Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. So once you realise Jesus is your Lord and Saviour, once you realise He's the Son of God, that He is the Messiah, here's some instructions from Jesus about the nature of discipleship, okay? It's sort of like you've signed up, now let me tell you what you've signed up for. It's the fine print, if you would, of discipleship. In other contexts, it says, whoever wants to follow me. In this context, it says, if any of you wants to follow me. I love that. That's like, whosoever should come. Just in case you were wondering here today, you're here, you're watching online, whatever it is, and you're like, this is for other people. Jesus' invitation is for you. It's an invitation for discipleship, but everyone's included that wants to be included. And it says, whoever wants to be my follower or other 
translations, it says, whoever wants to be my disciple. I just want to pause on that word for a sec. Often we think of discipleship as something somebody should do for us. Okay, so people come to me and be like, would you disciple me? That's nice. That sounds lovely. But discipleship is not something anyone else can do for you. Discipleship is only something you can do in your posture towards Jesus. Am I making sense here? Because I'm not being discipled. <laughs> That's not somebody else's fault. Because it's your job to be a disciple. It's not somebody else's job to disciple you. This is like, um, think of apprenticeship, right? You're learning a trade. Maybe you want to become a builder. It's not somebody's job to apprentice you. It's your job to be an apprentice. And if you can get close and then you can learn and you can ask questions, but it will only, the relationship will only be as fruitful as the posture of the apprentice. And this is the same when it comes to discipleship. You can't come along to a church and wait for a church to disciple you or a small group to disciple you. Small groups are about a whole bunch of people that want to be disciples trying to encourage each other as they walk out a discipleship journey. And then he goes, so we've got a few, we're just, we're just working through the words here. Address to the disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple. And then it has this really annoying word. It says, you, you must. Must. I don't like that word. I feel, I feel like it would be better if it's, you have the option of. Turning from your selfish ways and taking up your cross. It would be good if that was an option like, like, hey, if you want to be a hardcore disciple, you must. But if you just want to be like your average Christian, optional. Wouldn't that be good? I don't want to be like in ministry or anything, so I don't need to do the must part. I don't, like, I don't want to take God too seriously. I just want to go to church. I want to get to heaven, like have a good life. Like Jesus loves me. I love him. Pretty cool. Like, can we get rid of the must part? But just in case you're wondering in the Greek, it just means must. <laughs> like as in there's, there's no alternate option. This is not goosebumps pick a path. This is not, um, this is not like, hey, which one do you want? Which package with Jesus platinum or just want bronze? Whatever, just scrape me. And this is, you must. If you want to be my follower, you must. I thought I just had to pray a prayer. I just thought I had to put up my hand. I just thought I had to fill out a card. I thought I had to go to church. He doesn't mention any of those things when he defines discipleship. He says, you must, and then we should be like, well, if it's a must, we should pay attention. Like if there's no other option, these words should matter to us because I don't know, if, I'm sorry if somebody sold you a, a, a sort of like more low bar version of discipleship, but Jesus didn't. We're disciples of Jesus. You must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. 
Let's start with turn from your selfish ways. We've all got them, and we all still have them. You didn't lose them when you first decided. You just turned from the ones you knew then, and God was so kind to not even let you know about the ones you didn't know about. I didn't realize I was so selfish until I got married. There's a lot of nods, yeah. And then having kids is like another level to reveal your selfishness. We all have selfish ways. Ways of self-preservation, ways of self-protection, ways that give us a sense of control and agency in this world, ways of coping, ways of holding people out there, ways of protecting what is ours. We all have ambitions. Perhaps we all have a desire, maybe in different ways, for an easy path or a happy life. We all have different aspects of our being that are self-centered. And, and God doesn't come necessarily with like a judgment on these things, but an invitation to part from these things because there's a better way. The point is not to leave here feeling guilt-ridden about our selfishness, but to leave here knowing that God's mercy and grace calls us to a better way than a selfish way, that he has a better life for us than that. And so, but there must be a willingness to turn from them. The disciple's heart must be the sort of heart posture that goes, whenever you reveal it, God, I'm willing to let go of it. Like, I'm not gonna wait until we see what you're talking about exactly to decide if I'm willing to leave it. But just, I have a 100% trust, God, that you have a better way for me. So if there's anything I need to leave, I just wanna let you know, Lord, I'm willing to leave it. This is, this is important. I, I remember I probably would have become a follower of Jesus earlier in my life, but I didn't want to leave a whole bunch of things in my teenage years. I was having fun. And I didn't want to feel more guilty about the fun that I was having. And so I didn't want to follow Jesus yet because I wasn't willing to leave the selfish ways. Jesus is not something that you add to your life. You have to leave a life to add Jesus. You can't just add Jesus to your life and leave it the same. There's stuff to leave behind. There's ropes to cut. There's things to let go of. So turn from yourself. That's probably enough on that because it's not going to lighten up just in case you're wondering. And then it says, pick up your cross. No disciple is above his master. The way to the glory of Jesus is the path of Jesus, which is often not not learning to run from suffering, but learning to embrace suffering. You don't chase suffering down. That's not the way of Jesus, but that you're willing to walk through it. You're willing to bear it. You're willing to trust him in the midst of it. This is really, this is Peter's confessing Jesus as the son of God. And then Jesus says, I'm going to die. And Peter goes, surely not. And this is, I was like, this is the way of Jesus. 
is a way of bearing crosses in our lives. It's a joyous bearing, it should be. It should be a peaceful bearing. It should be an abundant life bearing where you have the ability to supersede every circumstance and not be shaken in the midst of very shakable things. Absolutely, but it's still a cross to bear. Jesus isn't the way to the happy, wealthy life. That's not the promise of Jesus that Jesus will fulfill our Western dreams. He's just the better way there where you be a nicer person. That is not the promise of Jesus. In the Roman Empire, a convicted criminal, when taken to be crucified, was forced to carry his own cross. This showed publicly that he was then under the submissive, he was under and submissive to the rule he had been opposing. Likewise, Jesus' disciples must demonstrate their submission to the one against whom they have rebelled. The path Jesus and his followers would travel would be a road of sorrow and suffering, but in so losing one's life, one would truly find a better life. Look, we know a little bit about pain and suffering. We know a little bit about being accused of things. We know a bit about walking through burnout. We know a little bit about the tensions of public life and the misunderstandings people have. We know a little bit about walking through sufferings in our family of all sort of different degrees. And it is a joy and a privilege to bear the cross of Jesus, but it is a cross nonetheless. And if it was good enough for Jesus, that's good enough for me. If Jesus could be the most misunderstood person on the planet, I think I can handle some people misunderstanding me from time to time. If Jesus could be accused of being a devil when he's the son of God, I think I can handle being accused of a few things. If Jesus could have his closest followers who had invested three and a half years of his life and let them into every aspect of his life and he can handle being deserted by them, I can handle some people coming and going by the grace of Jesus. It is a cross to bear this discipleship journey. Pick up your cross and, uh, and follow me. Follow me. What is it? mean to follow. I want to find some words of Jesus in Matthew 7, verse 13. He says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way, but the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. Skip to verse 21. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Or verse 24, anyone who listens to my teaching, Jesus said, and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes and the torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and ignores it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against their house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. 
The invitation to follow Jesus, to turn from your selfish ways, pick up your cross, be willing to follow in his path and follow him is the life that is constantly taking the teachings of Jesus, the revelations of Jesus and incorporating them into the way that we do life. Just knowing Jesus is a great place to begin. But as Jesus said, it's those who follow, who do what I've said, who obey my teachings. That is what discipleship is. That is what discipleship is. And then in this passage, there's this interesting bit where he goes, you know, he talks about gain and loss. And it doesn't sort of come across very well in the English, but in the Greek, it's past tense. Like Jesus is saying, like, when you get to the end of your life, what would it benefit you if you had gained everything, but you actually lost your soul? And there is an invitation from Jesus in this instruction to go to the end of your life and look backwards. This is like thinking of your funeral, right? And, and what people might say about you on your funeral and what do you want them to say about you and then living that life. Because there's something about death that puts things in perspective of what really matters, right? People on their deathbed aren't wondering about their careers. They're wondering about their families. This is the, the there's something about it. And this is the invitation of Jesus is like, as he invites us and he defines discipleship, he's actually asking us to go to the end of our life and go, look, all of the things you're chasing in this world, all of the things you're stressing about, all of the things you're hurrying about after, all of the things you're worrying about, all these things that you're trying to collect and gain, do they really matter if you lose what matters most? What does it matter if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Soul, I want us to know here, soul, this is not like the word for the eternal part of you. It's not like what would it matter if you gain the whole world but you didn't get to heaven? That's not what he's saying. He's saying what would it matter if you gain the whole world but you lost your true self? That's what he's saying that you missed what really is life? What if you thought the life you were chasing after is not actually life at all? Would be another way of saying it. Jim, oh, Jim Carrey says this. Yes, I'm quoting him. <laughs> Ace Ventura Pet Detective. I wish everyone could get rich and famous and have everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Look, it's possible in your life to get everything you ever wanted only to realize it's not what you really wanted. A theologian said it this way, thousands lose their souls for the most trifling gain or the most worthless indulgence, or often they lose their souls through just mere sloth and negligence. Whatever is the object for which men forsake Christ, that is the price at which Satan buys their souls. Yet one soul is worth more than all of the world. That is Christ's judgment upon the matter. He knew the price of souls, for he redeemed them. 
Look, this invitation of Jesus is not just a one-time thing. That's what I'm trying to get at. The path of discipleship is a daily thing. It's a weekly thing. Sometimes it's an hourly thing to come back to as we wander off the path and need to come back to it. In another version of this passage in Luke 9, he says, pick up your cross daily. There are things that need to be left behind daily. There are things that need to be embraced daily. And there's a life that needs to be properly ordered daily as we journey in discipleship. I just wanna focus on a couple of things as we bring it to a close. I wanna remind us that there are sins, there are vices, there are addictions, there are mindsets that need to be left. There's no two ways about it. If it doesn't honour God, it needs to be left behind by His grace. Listen to what Proverbs 6, 19 says. There are six things the Lord hates, no, seven things that He detests. He detests haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who sows discord in a family. There are things that need to be left behind. There's bitterness and unforgiveness. It's a selfish way, leave it behind. There's excessive drinking, leave it behind. There's cynicism and a lack of trust in people, leave it behind. There's pride and self-sufficiency, trying to do it all on your own, leave it behind. There's adultery and perversion, leave it behind. By God's grace, He will help you leave it behind. Leave it behind. But sometimes the things that come against the way of Jesus are more subtle than those things. There are absolutely sins that offend God, but sometimes it's more subtle than that. Often there's really good things in our lives that are just improperly ordered. Lamentations 3.40 says this, let's take a good look at the way we're living and reorder our lives under God. I just was reflecting on a few things that I think in our day and age are temptations to get out of order. They're not bad things unless they're misordered and they need to be put under Christ. The first is, no surprises here, money and possessions. Nothing wrong with it, something wrong with the love for them. But this is the story of the rich young ruler who that was the thing that he loved more than Jesus and therefore it was the thing Jesus asked him to leave behind if he was to become a follower of him. Not everyone has to leave it behind, but I can tell you if it's more important to you than Jesus, it needs to come under the submission of Christ. There are practical ways as we practice tithing, as we practice generous giving, as we practice these things, these are ways of us going, it's under Christ. It's, you're not having my heart money. You're not having my heart materialism. I wanna submit you under Christ by giving the best and the first to you, God. That's a way of properly ordering. Second one, this might surprise some people, family. Family so matters to God. Don't, don't mishear me here. But sometimes our family is our God. And we don't, we don't so much have the heart of Joshua that's like, for me and my house, our job is to serve the Lord. It's sort of like, for me and my house, it's the Lord's job to serve us. 
We're not looking as a family to bless the Lord. We're looking as a family to be blessed by the Lord. And that's quite different. And sometimes our family, how do we bring it under submission to Christ? We make the purpose of our family to serve and bless the Lord. That's how you bring it under. You make it the primary call of your family to do that. Our careers, our careers. God loves to see us work. He absolutely does. God, most of our work is an opportunity to bring about His Kingdom right where we are every day of our lives. It's where so much of our discipleship journey happens. But your career must submit to Christ. How do you bring your work under the Lordship of Christ? Well, you learn what it means to do holy work in that place. You learn God's purposes in it. Maybe you make sure that you're serving your local church or serving a missions organisation just to know that your time is first and foremost the Lord's, not your careers. And lastly, recreation. God loves recreation. God loves to see us refreshed and replenished. He's the God who plays. He loves it. He loves to meet us on the beach and in the forest. He loves to meet us and He loves to see us play and enjoy the world that He made. But we all know that recreation can find its way above Christ in our lives and it must be submitted to the right place in our lives. If recreation is more important than fellowship with other believers, it's probably in the wrong place. And we need to bring it back to the right place. Look, every... Not every movie, but lots of movies. I think of Lord of the Rings. Right at the end of the movie, Frodo's hanging off the edge of the cliff. Samwise is trying to save him. There's lots of scenes like this in lots of movies. Holding on, your rescue was right there, but there's this leap of faith to let go of what you're holding on to before you can put your hand in Jesus' hand. It's no different than teaching a kid to swim. If they're ever gonna swim, they have to learn to let go before they're ever gonna learn to swim. Let go of the edge, let go of you, whatever it is. It's the same with discipleship. I have decided to follow Jesus. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back, no turning back. This cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. This cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. This cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. If you're willing and able, would you stand to your feet? Just gonna invite the Holy Spirit to continue His work, revealing what needs to be let go of this year in our lives and what needs to be embraced. We're just gonna open up a time. Sometimes it's important to have a moment. Open up a time where maybe you can come to the front if you need to let go of some things just as your symbol to God, just to say you're letting go of something, just to mark the moment today. Maybe it's just to get on your knees. But I want us to use this little holy moment that we have right now just to respond to the Word of God. What is He asking you to let go of? So that you might, in a more fuller sense, be able to grab onto the life that's truly life in Christ. What's holding you back?